Welcome once again to the TriDoc Podcast. My name is Dr. Jeff Sankoff, your host and TriDoc, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. I hope that you have been enjoying the podcast to this point. I have another great show for you today. Maddie Pesh is coming off of her rookie year as a professional triathlete, and as she makes the turn towards her sophomore season, she shares with me some of the highs and lows of going from top age grouper to new pro. She learned so much and shares some of her experiences with me. Janetta Iwanaki returns for another episode of Reels for Wheels, our segment on movie suggestions for time spent on the trainer when you just don't feel like Zwifting. But first up, I take a look at the online blood testing and nutritional counseling service, Inside Tracker. Should you be considering paying up to $600 for their customized insights? Stay tuned to find out. Thanks to everyone who has left a rating and a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. The best way to get the pod in front of other ears is for you to pass it along or by leaving those ratings. They really do help. Now, let's get to this episode's listener question. A trip to the emergency department where I work for my regular job is never much fun. Aside from the fact that something unexpected and untoward has brought you to see me, there is also the many tests that you will more than likely have to submit yourself in order for me or whoever your doctor is to find out what is wrong with you. Physicians, especially those in the ED, have earned a reputation as significant overutilizers of tests in their day-to-day practice, and there are many reasons for that. Some of those reasons are good, and some of them not so good. In the former group are things like the undifferentiated nature of disease that we see in our practice and the high complexity of illness that our patients have, while in the latter are things like justifying billing and medical legal concerns. In my own practice, I'm quite aggressive with the amount of testing that I employ. That is to say, I do not perform a lot of testing. I practice medicine based on the training I received in Canada, where we viewed the use of and need for tests a little bit differently. My personal perspective can be summed up as, I only do a test if the result is something I don't already know and really need to know, or if the result will somehow change my management. The attitudes that my patients have towards testing often surprises me, though. They are almost universally all for it. I think that's because there is a serious misconception by the lay public about what it is that any specific test can tell a physician. Tests come in a few different flavors. For example, There are tests that only have two answers, positive or negative. These kinds of tests can be very useful in the right situations. X-rays of a bone that have been injured or a pregnancy test are examples of this kind of two possible outcome test. The bone is broken or it is not, the patient is pregnant or she is not. Unfortunately, the vast majority of tests do not fit into this nice dichotomous example. Most tests that we do give a result that must then be placed into a range to determine if it is normal. Though normal is based on a history of observations and not necessarily normal for the individual being tested. For example, a blood sodium level comes back at 128 millimoles per liter. This is outside the normal range. However, when taken in the context of a patient who is diabetic, with a very high blood sugar, this is actually a normal result. So for most blood tests, and indeed for many other tests, results only suggest one element of a picture and are no more than a clue to help establish a diagnosis. Finally, other tests can only provide us with probabilities. The best example of this is genetic testing. With these tests, we can detect the presence of a gene, but only rarely does that mean with any certainty a specific outcome. 
In most situations, the presence of the gene can only hint at a likelihood of particular outcomes down the road. This probably explains why so many patients are confused and often upset at why their physician doesn't have an answer for them, even after running a whole bunch of tests. Patients think tests give answers when doctors know that tests only give clues to possible answers. So all of this preamble is a way for me to get to this episode's listener question that comes from Courtney. She wants to know, is there any value to online blood testing services such as Inside Tracker? This is a surprisingly difficult question to answer easily, but I'm going to give it a try and take it on. Inside Tracker markets itself as a personalized nutrition platform and has a slick-looking website to go along with an app for your handheld device. The way it works is you select one of their prepaid plans off of the site, have a blood test performed either by a technician who visits you or by going to a local lab, and then after an analysis of the blood, you receive a report of your results. Inside Tracker analyzes for 30 levels that they call biomarkers, and for an additional cost, you can add DNA testing to get testing of some 260 genetic markers, though they don't say on their site what those markers are. After testing, Inside Tracker makes recommendations to help you move your results into their prescribed normal ranges. All those recommendations are nutritional in nature, and per their websites, are evidence based. Inside Tracker makes a pretty big point about how they're all about science and how their team is comprised of heavy hitters from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts. They reference a paper published in Scientific Reports, which is a subsidiary of the prestigious journal Nature, to demonstrate the validity of their platform and to lend credibility to pretty much everything they say in their marketing. I'm guessing about probably 99% of people won't read that paper. I'm guessing that the folks at Inside Tracker are also guessing 99% of people won't read that paper. Well, you, my listeners, don't need to read that paper. I read the paper. And here are the salient highlights. First and foremost, I think it's very important to understand this about the study. It was written by, and entirely funded by, the owners and developers of Inside Tracker. While this doesn't entirely invalidate the study, it certainly makes the purpose of the study a little bit questionable and introduces significant sources of bias that make me question the results and the conclusions. But let's dig in and see what they found. As to how the study was conducted, it's not particularly scientific and not very well designed. It was an observational study of a fairly large number of, quote, apparently healthy, end quote, people who used Inside Tracker. Now, I use quote marks because that was their term, and it's important to highlight this because it points out how this is not at all in keeping with a rigorous scientific study. In a good scientific study, you want to know exactly who your subjects are that you're studying. Apparently healthy is simply too imprecise. Basically, they compared these people before and after using the platform to see if there were any changes, but it's unclear to me over what time period because there was no protocol. It seems some folks were in the study for as little as a month, while others might have been in it for as long as 60. They then looked to see if subjects followed the application's recommendations on dietary changes, and if so, did that result in changes in biomarker levels at subsequent testing. I want to emphasize they don't actually know that anyone truly followed any of the interventions. They only know if people looked at the interventions on the application, and the reason for this is because this was not a truly scientific experiment in any sense of the word. Their results showed that some biomarkers did change, showing some degree of normalization of things like LDL, vitamin D, and creatinine kinase. In most cases, though, they showed more subtle changes in biomarker levels that improved slightly but did not get into the normal range. 
Another critical thing to highlight at this point is that there was no comparison group, so we can't tell if a group who didn't use the application would have seen the exact same results as the group using the application. This, again, highlights that this was not a true scientific study, which would have included this kind of comparison group. The authors' conclusions were actually pretty tempered, and it's clear to me that they didn't expect most of their users to get that far in the paper, because the way the website goes on and on about the science backing up their product, you would have thought the paper's conclusions would have been earth-shattering. So their own science is pretty tepid, but let's go a little deeper still and look what it is that Inside Tracker looks at and suggests. I mentioned that Inside Tracker analyzes your blood for some 30 things that they call biomarkers, and I even referenced a couple of them when I talked about their paper. Now, remember when I told you how we emergency physicians are notorious abusers of tests? Okay, Inside Tracker, they make us look like positive stewards of testing resources. I mean, come on, 30 biomarkers? I honestly have no idea how on earth they came up with a number like 30, but it's completely ridiculous. Most of the items on their laundry list of things that they test for are questionable at best. Creatinine kinase, for example, this is simply not a biomarker and not a test that has any usefulness whatsoever. I did an extensive online search to see what usefulness creatinine kinase could have, and lo and behold, there is none. The same can be said for liver function tests, electrolytes, and inflammatory markers that they test for. None of these tests are indicated in healthy, asymptomatic people, and none of them are particularly useful either as measures of health nor as modifiable measures. InsaTracker has also tilted the playing field slightly, making it more likely that one or many of your biomarkers will be reported outside of their normal range. If you remember earlier on, I said that many tests are reported against a reference range based on years of observations, and that the reference range sets the standard for normal. Well, in most cases, InsightTracker has narrowed those ranges, making it more likely that your result will fall outside of their normal and make customers feel as though they need to do something and then be retested. For example, in their study, they showed that their users had low vitamin D levels and that after using InsightTracker, vitamin D levels rose toward the normal range. The normal range being used in the study was a range defined by InsightTracker. The levels reported in the study, both before and after use of the application, were actually both in the normal range if you used the normal range as defined by the Institute of Medicine. Now, Inside Tracker argues that their ranges are more optimal, and in some cases, this is supported by some evidence. But the bigger question is is it possible to live in a really narrow range, and is it even desirable to try? I don't think any of this is really surprising. Inside Tracker's business model is to provide people with results that are abnormal, link them with nutritionists who sell them products and encourage them to get more Inside Tracker tests, and so on in a perpetual loop. By testing for 30 things and having a narrow range of normal for all of those things, there is a very high probability that all users will have several things out of reference range and feel the need to do something about it. The fact of the matter is, for the vast majority of healthy, active individuals, routine blood testing is not necessary. In fact, several medical associations have reached the same conclusion and given recommendations saying exactly that. Screening blood tests except in specific circumstances are simply not indicated. Now, I was agnostic to Inside Tracker when I first heard of it. I didn't think much of it as a training tool because I didn't think that healthy, active individuals would think they needed this. But when I started to look into it and really dug through their website, I found out how wrong I was. 
Rather than marketing themselves to people who might actually need to lower their cholesterol or LDL, they do exactly the opposite. They stay away from unhealthy people and go straight to the people who least need this service. They even have a section on there for triathletes with the claim that using their service can get you to Kona. I kid you not. Seeing that was what really riled me up. But it kind of makes sense. Inside Tracker is careful to say they don't provide a medical service, and it wouldn't really serve them well to have lots of unhealthy people using the service who actually needed to be on medications that they themselves can't prescribe. And having people take their test, only to then have to refer them to a doctor and never get to test them again, short-circuits their business. So instead, focus on healthy people, narrow the reference range, and keep people on the app in perpetuity. It's really quite brilliant, but I'm hopeful that you, my listeners, won't be falling for it. If you really have questions about your nutrition and how it might be impacting you, see a nutritionist. If you are having symptoms of any kind and might be worried that you might have something amiss, see your doctor. Online blood tests for healthy people are simply not necessary. And one more reminder of the famous utterance of one P.T. Barnum. Do you have a question that you would like me to consider answering on the show? Send it to me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. I'm pretty excited about my guest for the podcast today. Maddie Pesh is a professional triathlete from Wisconsin. She began competing in triathlons in 2013 as a way to cross-train in the summer for her winter college swimming season. Maddie started working with her first coach in 2017, USA Triathlon Hall of Fame member and world champion triathlete Syrian Lindley. During that season, Maddie won the 24 and under national age group Olympic distance tri- championship, finishing seventh overall. She followed that up with a silver medal at the 20-24 ITU Age Group Standard World Championships, placing 10th overall. She made her pro debut in 2018 with a 6th place finish at St. Anthony's Triathlon, and she competed in the half Ironman distance for the first time that year, finishing in the top 15 in the pro field at each of three races in her rookie season. Maddie also raced and won her first half marathon, which was her third career running race. In 2019, she will make Half Ironman her primary distance, with as many as 10 races planned in the upcoming season. Also this year, Maddie has joined the coaching team at Team Sirius Tri Club, led by head coaches Siri Lindley and Rebecca Keat. There, she will get to work with new athletes on progressing toward their multi-sport goals. Maddie is an ambassador for triathlon, and she is passionate about increasing gender equity at all levels of competition and making the sport more accessible for low-income populations. In addition, in addition to coaching triathlon, Maddie also coaches students to prepare for the medical school admissions test, also known as the MCAT, and teaches swimming at Harbor Athletic Club in Madison, Wisconsin, where she currently lives. She splits her training time between the Midwest and Boulder, Colorado, but she's here with me in Denver today. Maddie, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to get started. Thanks for having me. So, Maddie, uh, I am a doctor who uh, started triathlon, and you're a triathlete who is going to be starting medicine at some point. So how could I resist having you uh, join me here today? Tell me a little bit about your journey to triathlon and then eventually to medicine. Yeah, so I went to school in college at Grinnell College, and I was a swimmer there. So Hmm. I started doing triathlons in 2013. Uh, It was just a way for me to stay in shape in the off season. And it was a sport that I always wanted to do, but never really could because of, you know, swimming year round. 
And so I would do triathlons in the summers and swim in the winters. Um, When I started working with my first coach in 2017, Siri Lindley, that's when things got a lot more serious for me. I, I thought after I graduated college in 2016 that I had to be finished with sport, but I was so passionate about it. Um, I didn't really know any way that I could integrate it into the remainder of my life. Um, but I was able to find, you know, more goals to work towards in the sport. Um, and now it's become something that I'm integrating in my whole life, both as a career and hopefully in other areas as well. And were you sort of on a track academically that sort of triathlon kind of caught you by surprise and has, you know, made you rethink how your life plan is going to go? Yeah, so when I when I got to college, I sort of had two passions. You know, I was very interested in science. I was a chemistry major, and then I was also interested in communication and gender studies and women's studies, which was my second major. And so I really knew that I wanted to have a career where I could both use science and be connected to the people around me. And so that pushed me in the direction towards medicine. Um, Now that I've become more serious in triathlon, um, I've postponed the uh, going back to school for medicine right now, but I'm still very focused on what I can do in health in the future, um, now having been an elite athlete and having those experiences. So it's made me a little bit more focused in my goals outside of triathlon in terms of the people that I want to be around and thinking about what I can do both in the intersection of medicine and sports. Yeah, we've talked a little bit uh, previously, you and I, about uh, former professional triathlete Amanda Stevens, who still competes, uh, but now has transitioned to coaching and uh, a life as a physician. And I wonder if uh, you kind of think of yourself as following that kind of career track where you will be able to leverage your accomplishments in triathlon and really see that as a way to, uh, you know, be a physician who can help athletes and uh, work with athletes in the future? Yes, it's very exciting to me. I've, I've taken a lot of motivation from uh, other people that I've seen who have been athletes and who have been in the health field. Um, and so I really think that, you know, one of my goals will be essentially to take the different experiences that I've had as an athlete, you know, having to deal with adversity, trying to work towards goals, um, and the challenges that come along with that, and then being able to help people um, both in, like, work towards mental goals and physical goals that are both a component of triathlon and of health. Tell me about your first season as a pro. Uh, How did it go for you? Were you happy with how it went? Uh, What did you get from it? Yes, it went uh, very well. You know, it was so exciting to have so many things be new to me in my first season. It was the first time that I competed in the half Ironman distance. It was the first time I had ever run the distance of a half marathon And so reaching those new physical levels and then being able to do it 
in a professional field uh, was just such a challenge. And I was so excited to see how I would do and continue to improve. The biggest thing for me in triathlon is always figuring out the next way to stretch my comfort zone. You know, that helps me improve as much as I can physically and as much as I can mentally. So taking on the challenge of turning pro was a um, something that was going to be a stretch for me, um, but it also pushed me to step up to new levels um, beyond where I was in the previous season. So I'm really excited to have started competing in the half Ironman distance, and now I'm looking forward to specializing in that distance and continuing to grow and compete in the field. And You've referenced your coach, Siri Lindley, a couple of times, and I'm curious, you know, what has she meant to you both in your growth as a triathlete, but also in your abilities to handle, you know, racing as a pro and handling those kinds of pressures? Yes, well, a big part of working with Siri is, of course, um, the physical component of learning more about training for triathlon. Before I started working with her, I didn't have any formal uh, cycling or running training. So that, of course, was an an area where I had lots of improvement. Um, But Siri is very focused on the mental component of triathlon um, in terms of creating a mindset that's going to help you become the best version of yourself in a way that's going to allow you to reach towards your goals, yes, in the sport, but then also outside of the sport, in your career, in your relationships. And all of that has always been a big reason of why I wanted to continue to do triathlon. I think it's a great way to find out things about yourself. And when you strive for an athletic goal, um, you're also able to apply those same concepts in other areas of your life. So for me, um, graduating from college, um, I had quite a bit of anxiety and Um, I've always struggled with that. And so a lot of the mental game, um, not only was it hurting my athletic performance, but it also was inhibiting uh, me from being able to reach my full potential in other areas of my life. So uh, Siri has also worked with me a lot on uh, mental skills um, that I've been able to apply to the sport, but then um, so that's helped me see greater results in triathlon. Um, But it's also been a really big part of my journey that I'm always, I I really believe that the mental growth is just as important as the physical growth that you have. And, you know, for the age groupers like me, uh, we, we have a job. So, you know, when you're a professional, that, that becomes your job. And so it's always interesting to, to think about how you have to handle not just your performance in the sport, but then you have to also, you know, live. So how has that been a different kind of thing for you, becoming a professional now and having to, you know, wonder about where, you know, your paycheck is coming from? Yes, well, I think, you know, quite... It's been interesting for me to be a new pro uh, in my first season. Um, It's been really wonderful to be able to connect with other athletes who are also just starting out in their professional career. And so 
it's a hard sport to be in and that you don't turn pro and all of a sudden have a a million dollar contract coming through. So, you know, most of us, we, we still have to do, um, we're, we're working other jobs, you know, we're trying to figure out where we're going to be living and training. And there's a lot of things that you still have to coordinate to have it all come together. And at the same time, what you're trying to do is train to your fullest potential and be able to be your best at races. And so, uh, there's a lot to manage, um, but it's just been great to connect with other people. You know, triathlon, there's there's always a great community, and I've found that people are always willing to help you out. So you're able to connect with other athletes, learn how they make it work, um, and know that you're not alone. Um, and so I just, this is something that I've learned in triathlon, to just take everything one day at a time. So whatever training you have for that day, focus on that and whatever work you have to do that day, focus on that. It's really helped me learn to live more in the moment. Um, and with that, I have goals and, and if I, I do have long-term goals, but if I focus more on what has to get done in the day to day, the long-term goals also falls into place. And what was it like getting sponsors and, uh, who, who are those sponsors for you right now? Yeah, so for me, I just try to continue to make connections um, with the people in this sport. It's really great that when you go to races and when you train in different communities, you can just meet people. And that's how I've found um, those that I'm working with this season. I'm, I'm really excited to be working with Peaks Apparel. And of course, I'm a part of Team Sirius. So I work with... Um, those companies that are affiliated with our team. Um, and I'm also really excited to start working with F2C Nutrition this year. Um, so for me, it's all about finding people that you click with and that you can help support each other through the sport. Uh, and it's great to have those opportunities. Are there any tips that you'd give for an aspiring, you know, really high-performing age grouper who who wants to turn pro? What what kind of like two or three things would you say are important for that person to know? I would for sure say to just always try to put yourself in the greatest challenge that you can because that's where you grow. I think um a big thing for me was when I stepped up to the pro level, it really stretched me out of my comfort zone. And so in that way, I had to see the ways that where I needed the most improvement. Like, for example, in the age group swims, I was able to get out in front of most of the other swimmers. So I was used to swimming in clean water and having clear views for the entire swim. When I stepped up to the pro level, there were the the level of swimmer was was another step forward and so i had to learn how to swim with the pack and how to save energy and much more uh, strategies for that and i would have never really i wouldn't have developed those strategies as quickly if i hadn't put myself in that more competitive atmosphere i think uh, many athletes if they qualify for their professional license they hesitate to go for it because they might not think they're ready in a certain discipline or that they're not going to be at the level that they need to to win races. But I think that 
by putting yourself in the most competitive place you can be, you are stretching yourself to, to improve that much more quickly. So if it's stepping up to the pro level, that would be the next level. Or if it's, you know, taking the opportunity to go to a world championship or to go to a very competitive, you know, local race, whatever the next level is for you, um, do something that scares you. You know, not every race has to scare you, but whatever is going to make you uh, do something that you're not entirely confident in is going to help you reach that next level. That's great advice. I really like what you say about doing things that challenge you and scare you because that's always keeping you, you know, on your toes. Um, I know you dealt with uh, an injury this year, and that's always frustrating, uh, frustrating for age groupers and pros alike, but certainly for a pro because that's where your income is coming from and to a certain extent. Tell me about how that was different for you as a pro as opposed to your previous life as an age grouper and how you dealt with it and how you've managed to come back. Yes, you know, I feel like the biggest thing with an injury is that we start to think, um, this has been my experience, that we start to feel alone in our injury. Because if you are training and you're able to do everything to your fullest potential, you're able to be with your community, you know, you're able to compete, you're getting your workouts done, and you feel like you're productive. And then when you have a, an injury, you're not able to participate as much. You have to modify. And so it, it becomes just as much of a mental challenge as it is a physical one. So as I said, this is one of the things that I've, I've really been working on mentally. And so this past injury, I, I've been really happy with how I've been able to deal with it. So I, uh, being a swimmer in college, I would get certain injuries like pulled muscles that would hinder me. Um, and I always felt like it was the time that then I couldn't reach my goals. I would think about the limitations of the injury. What I've really been able to do in now that I, in triathlon is reframe it. So I start to think about how the injury is more just, it's part of a larger journey. You know, there, there might be some disappointing aspects like I had an injury right at the end of my season. I ended up having to cancel my last race of the season. But what I took out of that was that it was just, it was part of the journey. So instead, you know, I was able to transition into my off season. I was able to let my body heal. And now I think of it as an opportunity because now I have more knowledge about what that injury is, what causes that injury, and what it feels like. So I can focus more on how to prevent it in the future, how I'm going to get stronger, and what I'm going to change. So with my nutrition or with my new tra training in the upcoming season. So you take it as an opportunity um, to come back stronger and be better both mentally and physically than you were before the injury. And I want to take a minute just uh, before we finish up to talk a little bit about something you and I have talked about um, before, and that's uh, gender equity issues and sexual identity issues. Uh, you've been a, a very strong advocate for that in uh, both in and out of triathlon. Um, how have you seen those kinds of issues come 
to light in your professional career, uh, in and outside of the sport, and how do you see yourself advocating for them going forward? Yeah, thank you for asking about that. Um, I'm certainly, I'm very passionate about increasing participation in the sport. Um, I would really like to, you know, get more women involved um, and just anyone who historically has not been as represented in triathlon. So I really want to work on making the sport more accessible to anyone regardless of economic background. And I think like the ways that we can do that um, is giving more opportunities for having local races that are not as um, expensive, as well as making equipment more available. You know, there's there's a joke in triathlon that triathletes have so many bikes, but... um, So, you know, we certainly have enough equipment, and if we can, like just have more programs to be able to make it more accessible to other people. Um, I'm passionate about that. Uh, but what I also think um, is I just, as, as an athlete, you know, I'm, I'm very honored to have made it to the professional level. And it's just a, an opportunity to be able to work with others and help people um, access opportunities in this sport. And so what I think is an important component of that is to um, be as as visible as possible about what you believe in. You know, so I I always want to talk about how um, I want to have more increased female participation and how I want to increase accessibility. Um, And so... Uh, it's important for me to be visible in my identity. Um, I identify as bisexual, which is not really a, um, it's not always a part of what I need to show in terms of my training or my racing. But growing up as an athlete um, in high school um, and even sometimes today, I'll experience um, some homophobia and I think that it's really important, you know, growing up, I always wanted to find role models. You always want to see people who are like you succeeding. And so for me, if I can be visible in my identity and maybe inspire someone else who um, is unsure if they belong in the triathlon community, um, that's that's very important to me. That's Really amazing, and I'm I'm really like excited that you've been vocal that way, and like excited that I found that about you. And um, yeah, I think in terms of role models, you're definitely raising the bar. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for being on the podcast. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you. Where can people find you on social media? Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. So I am on Instagram. My my handle is. My last name, so Pesh, and then Maddie, Try. So it's P-E-S-C-H-M-A-D-D-Y-T-R-I. You can also friend me on Facebook. And we'll, uh, we'll put, uh, or I will put the uh, link to that in the show notes for the show, as well as the links to uh, Maddie's uh, sponsors and to Siri's coaching service. Thank you so much for being here today, uh, Maddie, and... Good luck with uh, the upcoming season. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
The TriDoc Podcast is all about keeping you informed, be it about the latest in hydration, injury prevention, or technology, or about the best movies to watch while on the trainer. I try to get it all in on this show. For the last part, though, I count on my friend and colleague and fellow Ironman triathlete, Janetta Iwanaki, to join me for a segment I like to call Reels for Wheels. And she's here once again for the express purpose of helping get you through your next trainer ride as entertained as possible. Welcome once again, Janetta. Happy to be here. So what have you got for us today? So today I'm going to be talking about something that uh, I would say is probably a bit of a controversial choice, but I'll be talking about Rogue One, um, one of the newer Star Wars films, and actually a bit of a standalone. Oh, controversial. Well, we, we, we embrace controversy at the TriDoc <laughs> Podcast. And the really, quite honestly, the only reason it's controversial is because it's not one of the original Star Wars movies. And I think that in and of itself oftentimes brings controversy. Uh, Star Wars engenders such... Uh, avid fandom, and people have really strong and sometimes aggressive opinions about it. And I grew up on the original Star Wars trilogy, loved it. I always thought it was fantastic. Um, I thought the prequel trilogy of episodes one through three were, let's say, terrible. That's the kind word for it. (laughs) Um, But uh, Rogue One is really fascinating because it takes place before the original Star Wars A New Hope um, and gives us some backstory about really uh, how the Death Star got built and how the Rebels got those plans for the Death Star. Um, And it's somewhat unique compared to the other Star Wars movies for a couple of reasons, one of which is the fact that we see really... No, uh, none of the real recurring characters that we're used to. Um, so there's no Darth Vader, who's a major component of this. That's not what this movie is about. This movie is about a small band of rebels who are sort of otherwise faceless and nameless, gives us their story and tells us about uh, their rebellion against the Empire. And because of that, I think um, it's really great as a standalone movie. It doesn't feel like it needs to be part of that bigger story, but it helps if you kind of know a little bit else about what's going on. Felicity Jones um, plays the main character, and she's fantastic because one of the big things about this character is in some ways she's this very reluctant hero. Um, She's not necessarily excited to be a part of this rebellion. She's not eager to, you know, put herself in danger to try to help others. And yet um, she is willing to understand that that's what she needs to do to make the world a better place. And I think that's really inspiring and um, pretty interesting. The other thing that's great about it, though, is because this is really, honestly, much more of a war movie than anything else, it gives you um, some intensity and some action that really pulls you through um, in this interesting new world that gives you some different context um, for what we already know. You're a hard man to find, Galen, but farming. Really? Man of your talents? It's a peaceful life. It's lonely, I imagine. Since Leo died, yes. Oh. Oh. My condolences. Search the house! What is it you want? The work has stalled. I need you to come back. I won't do it, Critic. We were on the verge of greatness. We were this close to providing peace, security for the galaxy. You're confusing peace with terror. Well, we have to start somewhere. 
full disclosure, um, I you know you can divide people. I think along lines of Star Wars versus Star Trek, and I have always been more of a Star Trek person. Uh, that being said, I've seen all the Star Wars movies, and my son is very much in the Star Wars camp. But I definitely prefer Star Trek movies, so I think I can look at the Star Wars movies a little more objectively than most. I believe that Rogue One holds up pretty well as a, as a movie on its own. Uh, I think a problem with Rogue One, and I think something that maybe a lot of people maybe feel is part of the issue, is they look at the original Star Wars in a like an iconoclastic kind of way. I mean, and, and I mean, I get you, it, but they are iconoclastic. <laughs> yeah, and that, that first Star Wars movie. Let's face it. I mean, it was a genre break. I mean, it, Star Wars. I mean, I don't love Star Wars, and yeah. yet even I can recognize, you know, the what Star Wars was and what it did. I as don't. As long think, as you love Kurosawa, you can still love Star Wars. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't think it holds up. I don't think it's you know. I I I, I don't understand the. Um, fawning that people do to that original movie to this day. I think that they are remembering it differently than what it really is. That being said, I don't begrudge people who are, you know, head over heels over the movies. I think the problem with Rogue One is if you watch Rogue One and how it leads into Star Wars, if you were to watch Rogue One and then immediately watch Star Wars... There, there's a huge problem because Rogue One is filmed so much better. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, never mind the special effects. I mean, Rogue One just is a better composed movie. I mean, the yeah. scripting, the dialogue, the acting, the directing. I mean, everything about Rogue One is better. Whether or not you love the people in it or the story or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, Rogue One is just it's, – it's done, what, 40, 50 years later? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how could it not look better? Um the inclusion of Carrie Fisher as mm-hmm. a young woman, and that was, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was right after her death, right? Uh, before, actually. It was just before. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, yeah. And and the, the, the thing that scared me about Rogue One was seeing Peter Cushing, mm-hmm. who was dead, yeah. and seeing how vividly alive he looked that in was... this movie, because that just made me realize the implications other things yeah and uh but the you know it was amazing in this movie and i I mean it was amazing to be able to include him because he's such an integral player uh but still it is a little bit uh, scary for other applications yeah it's it sort of uh took me a little while to get used to seeing him on screen i thought it was just so strange (laughs) yeah yeah um mads mickelson again we've talked about him previously yeah does a great job um and i agree with you i think felicity jones just does you know very solid effort in the movie i mean it's listen none of these movies are going to focus on acting um it's more about the point of her is like i said to be this reluctant hero and she plays that well yeah yeah i agree uh you know i I kind of like, I have friends who, you know, as soon as the tickets come out, they're online buying the tickets so that they can be first in line to see. That's not me. Uh, I haven't even seen, I think, the last two of them. My son will want to see them, and so we'll we'll see them here at home. I I don't need to be in the theaters to see them. This is the last one I saw in the theaters. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it, I I said to my wife, I said, you know, the stories are the same. Uh, The thing about Star Wars is, like, even though there is a story arc, you don't have to think too hard to realize the story's pretty much the same in every movie, and so I don't really need to see them anymore. But that being said, I totally understand what you're saying about this being a great movie to watch on the trainer. It's a lot of action. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a lot of uh, um, great 
you know, eye candy. And uh, it, it, especially if you're a Star Wars fan, it does a great job of uh, keeping you entertained and keeping you enthralled. Yeah, it's really interesting. You mentioned Mad, Mads Mikkelsen, and it's fascinating that in the last two movies we've discussed with him, he's had really no role in the action whatsoever. Uh, I, I don't know if you knew this. So he's a Danish actor, and he actually originally was trained as a ballet dancer. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, it gets even better mm. because uh, he starred in a television show that is a topic for another time called Hannibal. And there is a killer fight scene between him and Lawrence Fishburne, actually, that wow. just really brings his physicality to the table. And so every time I see him in an action movie that he doesn't do action, I always feel a little bit sad because he's got some fantastic skills that uh, are really interesting. Wow. I'm going to definitely have to look that up on yeah. YouTube, find that. Uh, well, my recommendation this time around is uh, not at all related to science fiction. Instead, it's uh, Kingsman, The Secret Service. This is yet another of the many film adaptations of comic books, and funnily enough, was directed by Matthew Vaughn, who has also directed another one of my recommendations, Kick-Ass, and I didn't know that until I was researching the movie. Um, Kingsman is a rollicking movie with a great story, an epic villain in the form of a lisping and violence-averse Samuel L. Jackson, which in itself is funny, and a terrific cast including Michael Caine, Mark Strong, and Colin Firth. It takes the British super-spy genre and turns it very much on its head, keeping many of the tropes from James Bond while adding a lot of terrific new twists. The action sequences are, as always, frenetic and very much over the top, and the movie is just all in all very enjoyable. I'd say that this is a great film to watch while doing any kind of up-tempo workout, or if you really want to enjoy all the nuances, even to watch while doing a less strenuous ride. I think that um, the um, uh, just there's so much to enjoy in this movie. Uh, it's uh, very much tongue-in-cheek from beginning to end. The uh, characters, the plot, the the scene in the church, I mean, it's... It's, it's violence and gore to the max, but, uh, I mean, we've talked about this in the past, balletic and choreographed in a way that is astonishing and uh, really, really uh, just a very enjoyable film, start to finish. What are you doing here? Come on. Nonsense. We haven't finished our drinks. After you nicked his car, Dean says you're fair game. Um, listen, boys, I've had a rather emotional day, so whatever your beef with Eggsy is... I'd appreciate it enormously if you could just leave us in peace until I finish this lovely pint of Guinness. You should get out of the way, Granddaddy. You'll get hurt and all. He ain't joking. You should go. Excuse me. Excuse me. If you're looking for another rent boy, they're on the corner of Smith Street. Manners maketh man. Do you know what that means? Then let me teach you a lesson. going to stand around here all day or are we going to fight absolutely and i think uh i 
this has now become a, somewhat of a theme in our conversations, but this is another movie that I had really low expectations for and was really pleasantly surprised by. Um, it's got a great cast, and I think uh, the fact that they bring Colin Firth to the table not only is this really refined, elegant uh, guy, which is sort of what I think of you know when I think back to the 1990s and him starring in Pride and Prejudice, that's how I imagine him, but also as an action star, and it's just fantastic. Yeah, I agree with you. Low expectations. Uh, I remember seeing the trailer and going, yeah, that's not something I want to see. And it was actually you who suggested. I remember calling you. Yep. Uh, and I was on the trainer. and I needed something to watch. And you suggested this one. And I remember getting back to you right after and going, oh, my God, that was unbelievably surprisingly good. Yeah, better than it has any right to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, I mean, just uh, really, really fun and uh I think that I remember, I, I actually remember exactly when, so at, at first it's just enjoyable. There's a, a parkour scene mm-hmm. early on where they're chasing our protagonist uh, and uh, that that's when I, I clued into the fact that I was going to enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. But the scene that made me realize that this movie was something more than just a, a romp was the... Um, uh, they're testing all of these new recruits to see who's going to make it into the Kingsman, mm-hmm. and they flood their dorm. Yeah, and they manage to escape, but uh, Mark Strong's character points out that they've all failed because they left one of their compadres behind, mm-hmm. compatriots behind, and she's not made it. And just, I, I remember just being shocked that yeah. you know, in this kind of movie, that 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 would have happened, and thinking to myself, okay, this movie's at another level that I wasn't yeah. expecting. Yeah. So. And I think uh, Taron Egerton was somebody I hadn't been familiar with. I'd never the heard Kingsman. of him before. <laughs> no. And that being said, he went on to start in one of my other favorite movies that maybe we'll talk about another time, uh, Eddie the Eagle. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Which he is so shockingly different in that film that uh, it's really fascinating. Um, but yeah, he is great. He brings a lot of uh, sense of humor and sort of usefulness to a film that mostly is full of stodgy old British guys. So I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a couple of uh, very different, but uh, I think very helpful suggestions for you if you've got some trainer rides coming up. So, Janetta, once again, thanks for much for thanks so much for being here today, and uh, we'll look forward to another episode of Reels for Wheels on the next podcast. Absolutely. And that's it for this episode of the TriDoc Podcast. Thanks again to Maddie Pesh and Janetta Iwanaki for being on the show. Links to everything that i discussed, as well as links to my Twitter and Instagram accounts, can be found in the show notes at www.tridocpodcast.podbean.com. Do you have comments or a question for consideration for me to answer on the show? Send me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com and please do consider leaving me a rating or a review anywhere you download the podcast the music at the beginning and end of the show is radio by the empty hours and is used with permission this song and many more like it can be found at www.reverbnation.com where i hope you will go to visit and give small independent bands a chance the TriDoc Podcast will return soon with another listener question, an interview with Canadian Triathlon Hall of Fame coach Lance Watson, and another episode of Reels for Wheels. Until then, 
Train hard, train healthy.